As I was anticipating and rehearsing what the Lord had laid on my heart for the week, and by the way, you have an outline. If you want it, you probably are not going to be able to follow it. Turn it over and make notes on the back. Then you won't be confused by what you're trying to do. But I was impressed with two things. In a subtle way, the Lord lead seemed to say to me, Robert, what if this was the last sermon that you preach? What would you want to say to these people? And then he nudged a little more and said, what if it were the last sermon they were going to hear? And they didn't make it home either. What would you want to leave with them? And that is a possibility. I shared last week that there is one breath between time and eternity. I'm going to share with you two passages of Scripture. What I want to share with you is recorded in three of the four Gospels. It is critically important, I believe, that we understand what stewardship plays in our life. I think it has a far greater impact and weight that sometimes we want to admit or deal with. Now let me read to you, if I may, and you may follow, out of the book of Mark and chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. Now as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now I want you to know that that's the starting point for all of us in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're on the same page with this young man. He didn't understand everything, but he did understand some things, and his only way, many of us being the same way, was, what can I do? Now, we need to be careful, and you're going to find out in a minute why he thinks he wasn't careful. What must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Well, we all know it's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And I'm assuming that a great host of you here today have already done that. And those of you who have not are contemplating or at least open to that possibility. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There's nobody good but God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said, I have done all of these things, teacher, and I've kept them since I was a young man. Then Jesus said to him, looking at him 
loved him. And the word love there encompasses all that we have ever thought, hoped, believed, been taught, associated with God. For God so loved the world. It's that kind of love that Jesus felt and projected to this young man. Jesus looking at him loved him and said you've asked me a question what shall I do one thing you're lacking go your way sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross follow me but he was sad at this word. And he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, but not with God, for all things are possible with God, even that which is impossible with men. Sometimes we get frustrated, we get upset, we get sidetracked when we hear the preacher preach on money. When we hear testimonies such as Chucks. But that frustration is ill advised. Nowhere in the scripture does the Bible, nor in Jesus' teachings, does he ever condemn riches. All he does is warn against the deceitfulness and the power and the control. It's not the riches. It's who owns what. If you own your riches and you are a responsible, sacrificial steward of what God has given, praise God. And the Scripture says that. But if you have wealth or riches or accumulation and they own you, that's when riches bring you trouble. And when the Bible speaks to your heart and my heart and the preacher preaches to your heart and his heart and says, folks, we need to look at what's going on. We need to listen 
told you last week that there are 3,800 times that the Scripture says, Thus saith the Lord, and we listen. There are numerous times in the New Testament that it says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When God speaks about the evil of riches, and when God tells you and warns you and says, beware of covetousness, all kinds of covetousness, it's not he's trying to lay the hammer down. He's trying to say, I love you, and I'm trying to protect you from yourself. Two lovely children over here. I'll bet you, in addition to their cereal of a morning, that if you put a bowl full of candy in front of them, they would think that they were in heaven. <laughs> and if you would back off, or any of the other children, maybe some of the adults, if you just back off long enough and watch them, they don't know when to stop eating. They never get too much. They may be full, but as long as there's a chocolate drop there, can't leave it in the dish. And so the parents say to them, you can't have any more. It'll make you sick. My daughter Kathy, among other things, is a horse person, a horsewoman. She was raised with it. At one time, we had seven horses. Every member of our family had a horse, and three of them had colts. But Kathy is still a horse person. One night last year, I got a call from Kathy on her cell phone, and she's out in the barn sitting by one of her favorite horses, who has foundered herself. You know what that means? That means eating too much. Somebody had left the gate open, and she had gotten in and kicked the door into the feed bin, and there had all of the sweet feed. Now, sweet feed is corn and wheat and two or three other things that you mix with honey. It's great if it comes by the handful. It's deadly if it comes more. And here was Kathy sitting, rubbing the head, periodically putting water in the mouth of the horse to save its life with a hose down her throat, not to punish not to hurt, but to help. God knows the damnable damage that uncontrolled covetousness and greed and desire and selfishness and wanting, saying, not enough. 
Not enough. Not enough. And he sees the young man, and he loves him, and he lets him walk away. Folks, there is no compromise in Jesus. He will not accommodate you on your terms. When he went to the cross in Calvary, he not only died to save you from hell, he died to save you from yourself. Don't try to talk him out of what he's done. People ask me questions all the time about giving. I won't debate tithing with you anymore. I, I just won't waste my time or yours. And if you've got something I haven't heard, you're a pretty smart person. Every question you have about your management responsibility of the things God has given you and your giving or not giving were answered the day you asked Jesus into your heart to forgive you of your sins. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You never see Jesus in any posture of interaction with people, having a man by the arm, twisting his arm, trying to get him to follow him. And every invitation that he gives to those of us who would be his disciples is, if, make up your mind. It's your choice. You are not coerced. You are not pressured. Here are the options. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to come after me, this is what it means. I've kept the Ten Commandments, he said. Everything that you have mentioned, I've done since I was a young man. Jesus gave him an A-plus on that. But he says... Something is missing. You may want to do as I've done. To look deep down in the recesses of your mind and heart. And see if that missing piece has been supplied. One thing you lack, now he didn't make an issue of it. He didn't hold it up and beat the young man over the head with it. He simply answered his question. You want to have eternal life? Go sell everything that you have. 
give it to the poor, take up your cross, and follow me. And then he stopped. And he looked. And the young man shook his head. I would be willing to wager if I were a wagering person that he began to cry. He was weighing in his mind the abundant life and eternal life and a physical life still controlled by riches. And Jesus let him walk away. And I would almost wager that Jesus was crying too. Jesus just won't compromise under any circumstances. And we need to understand and know that. We follow him. He doesn't follow us. When I was six years old or thereabout, I came home one day and said to my mother, Mother, what does tithi mean? And she said, what? I said, Ms. Loving taught us in Sunday school today that we ought to tithy. What does tithy mean? T-I-T-H-E. She said, no, Robert, that's not tithy, that's tithe. I said, okay. Six years old, didn't make any difference to me. I was still learning to spell, so just move your hyphen and you got it down. I said, what's a tithe? She took 10 dimes, laid them out on the table, and said, that's how many dimes are in a dollar. And that first one belongs to God. And then those other nine, he has given you to do what needs to be done in your life. I learned that lesson. But as I got older... And I began to mature. I came to God one day and I said, Lord, I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be wealthy. I just want to be independent. Just enough that I don't have to ask anybody else. Just enough that I can do pretty much what I want to do. God impressed my heart and my mind and said, Robert, Robert, you don't know what you're asking. The last thing I want from you is independence. You need me. You need me. And so, I said this morning, as a blind squirrel finds a Acorn every once in a while. I found a truth that I learned to live by. In Proverbs 30 and chapter 7. It says two things Lord I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. 
Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And I say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane your name. It is as much a sin for a poor person to covet a little as it is for a rich person to covet a lot. Doesn't matter what the size is. And in your giving and in my giving, it's the same thing. And Jesus illustrated this in the life of the widow who gave. It's not what you give, per se, but what you have left over after you've given. Rich men dropped in bags of silver and bags of gold, went home, had their meal, and most of them probably had no idea what they had given. It made no impact on their way of life. This widow woman went home and said, God, what am I going to eat tonight? You see, Jesus said they gave out of their abundance and out of their wealth. And they could give again out of that. She gave out of her poverty lack or need she did not have anything beyond that I introduced the sermon this morning by saying I want to share with you an oxymoron do you know what an oxymoron is an oxymoron is two contradictory statements that you put together when you say them, you said, hmm, I'm looking at two different things coming together. And it is not often that you will hear, I've been guilty of it myself, standing up to preach on stewardship and say, God doesn't want your money. But he wants you. And see, that's an oxymoron. Because God does want your money. And he does want you but he wants you to bring your money to him. People say to me all the time, well, I, I, I just can't tithe or I can't give because I don't have enough. How much is enough? I mean, what would trigger your giving mechanism as you begin to take it in? That's the reason I don't debate these things. You say, but I've got to take care of my family. Don't, isn't that best? Duh. You say, if it just had more. Let me share something with you. 
If you don't know how to give a dollar out of ten, or ten out of a hundred, or a hundred out of a thousand, what makes you think that you'd give a thousand out of ten thousand? Or ten thousand out of a hundred thousand? The switch doesn't just turn on when you cross a dollar mark and say, hey, I'm in the giving mode now. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. If your possessions own you. How much is enough? Whatever it takes to be obedient to God and live on the rest, if I own my possessions, I'm going to end by asking you a question. Let's go back to the young man. And Jesus said to him, Sell what you have and give to the poor, and then follow me. If you had to do that, what would you have to sell? How long would it take you to get to the place that Jesus was trying to help you get to? Sell and give. Don't ever think you get away from the give factor. Giving is always an expression of faith. Now, if you look at your giving today, or you look at your giving last month, you look at your giving last year, and Jesus was giving you a grade, would he say, your giving represents much faith? Or little faith? Or no faith? When Jesus... According to Mark and Luke, came to watch the people give offerings. It wasn't an accident. It was a plan, a strategy. Didn't come by himself, brought his disciples with him, and watched as everything took place. And folks, I want you to know, he still watches. And any time you or I have an opportunity to give at any time, Jesus is watching. The Bible says, and in that moment, God knows our heart. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. We sing it. I've been young, and now I'm old. 
but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. If Jesus were to come through those doors right now and walk to the front and say, sell all and give, what would you do? His story. He's in Redding, California. You got to tell that story. No, I am not letting you go. Come here, right here. It's your story. He said this in the first service. I'm not going to be gypped. I had finished preaching in Redding, California. I'd gone outside because they had an amphitheater and there were some people who'd come by so telling me how good the sermon was, some telling me how bad it was. <laughs> the whole but there was a crowd and we were listening and talking. And all of a sudden I'm interrupted by a young woman who elbows her way through the crowd with two little girls about the age of these two right here. One on each hand. She said to me, Pastor Richardson, I just want to thank you for the sermon. She said, uh, this morning, my daughters and I, at the breakfast table, finished our cereal and were getting ready for church. And I said to the girls, girls, we've got to make a decision. And I laid out on the table the money I had. And I said, we're going to church and we can either give the offering or after church we can go buy something to eat. And she said, the girl said, Mommy, you do whatever you think you ought to do. And she said, Pastor Rich and I came this morning and we gave what we had and the sermon you just preached confirmed that I did the right thing. And just turned around and walked off. The crowd was still there. I tried to get through. I couldn't. So just as soon as I could get away from this group, I went to the pastor and I described her, the two girls. Pastor, who is she? I don't know. So I went to a couple of elders and I described her and the girls and I said, who is she? I don't know. I'd wanted somebody to know so we could do something for her. Well, we went through the day, went home that night. I was disturbed, over and done with. Next day, the pastor and I are visiting. Comes lunchtime, and he says, Robert, let's get a bite to eat. And I said, okay. He said, where do you want to eat? I said, I don't know. I don't want to go to McDonald's. <laughs> Nothing against McDonald's, but I'd had enough Big Macs up to that time. He said, that's okay. I know a little place we can go. So we drive over, go into this little hamburger shack. Walk in, young lady comes to the uh, counter, said, may I help you? Pastor said, yes, we'd like to have lunch. She said, what do you want? So the pastor said, I want a hamburger, french fries, and a Diet Coke. And she looked at me and said, what do you want? I said, same thing. 
So she turns around and walks about 10 feet about over to here, turns back and comes back and said, I'm so sorry, I've forgotten what you want. What do you want for lunch? Pastor said, hamburger, french fries, diet coke. What do you want? Same thing. So she turns around, starts again, and the third time. Now, the third time when she asked, she's crying. And she said, I just recognized you. I was in church yesterday, and I heard you preach. And I said, praise God, I've been looking for you. So when I paid the bill, we paid more, obviously, than a hamburger was worth. I said, but I need to have your name, and I need to have your address, and I need to have your telephone number. So I got all of that, gave a call. The story was her husband's in prison. And she's a single mom, limited education, having to take care of the two girls. In finding out all of the information, I go back, meet with the pastor and the elders, and they determine they're going to help her. So they begin, go get her. They find out what she needs, decide to put her in school, puts her in school. I'm back in a year. Now she's got a year behind her in school. She's been promoted in a job position to assistant manager, and on and on I could go with the story. And she said, Pastor, thank you so much for affirming the fact that what I believed, the promises of God, were true. 